Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Welcome to the Best Boss Ever show. And today I have on Jessica Metcalf. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. The coolest part is we were on a panel together at the Women in Wealth Conference not too long ago. And I found the stories that you were sharing about the dentistry industry, which is what you're in. It just was incredible to hear your perspective and also the fact that I guess you learn leadership in a very different way than so many of us in the corporate world. So I just had to have you on the show. I love the fact that you bring a very fresh perspective to this discussion. So I'm thrilled you're here. Thank you so much. It's very interesting exactly what you said with the dental industry. I do clinical dentistry, I own a dental clinic, and then I started another business where I help individuals or the high achievers battle imposter phenomenon, perfectionism, and prevent burnout. Right. And I mean, so many of us very much relate to that special business that you've created on the side. So I think that's very exciting. Tell us who is your best boss ever and why? It's very interesting because no one person comes to mind. I have snippets from the leaders and the mentors or the role models who have been in my life. And the reason for that is because of the way dentistry is set up. And so a couple of the individuals that come to mind are the ones who really pulled me aside early on in my career and really wanted to know what my vision was within dentistry, with my own personal life, and how they could then help me strive for that and how would they would then fit into what it looked like for me. And the reason why that was so important is because early on, especially when our high achieving mentality is get really good grades, get into school, okay, get even better grades at that point in time, graduate, finish residency, and then become an associate or then become an owner and run your own dental clinic. And because you kind of get stuck in that hamster wheel aspect of next step, next step, next step, Sometimes you don't give yourself that opportunity to breathe and take a look at the fact that, what do I actually want? And so the individuals who really stood out for me are the ones who gave me the opportunity to share with them early on being like, well, this is what I think. And then we would have a really honest and open conversation being like, okay, this is maybe where you need to take your energy. This is maybe the next education step that you want to take. and maybe don't jump in too far into the deep end right off the bat with this, but not saying that you can't do it. So it's that empowerment aspect, which I find was consistent with the top bosses who come to mind for me. So if you can think of, for instance, one of those leaders that had a specific characteristic or trait that you really admire, tell us a little bit more about them. So this individual is so very calm and level-headed, had been in the years for multiple decades. And there was one day where I was just having a really bad day in clinic. And I just felt it was one of those kind of steamroller days. And it ended up at the point where I closed the door 
to my office and I just started crying my eyes out. And I was like, I am not fit for this at all. So I was giving myself the moment and I heard a knock on the door and he came over. And at this point in time, I know my eyes are super red. I'm trying to wipe the tears. And I'm like, okay. Don't let anyone know I'm crying. Exactly. I'm like, I don't know who's on the opposite side of the door right now at this point. So I was like, okay, compose, compose. And then I opened up the door and he walked in. He's like, do you want to sit and chat? And I was just like, okay. (laughs) And so we closed the door and he's like, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. And he's like, no, how are you really doing? And it was just that moment where all of a sudden I just started to cry again and I couldn't hold back my tears. And we sat for the next 15, 20 minutes and he is such a calm individual, which that then I felt just fell onto me. Like all of a sudden the environment was calm. All of a sudden what I felt was a disaster was no longer a disaster. So that in and of itself, where he walked in, exuded this calmness, but then also respected the fact that I was extremely emotional and that didn't define me as a dentist, as an individual, or even as a woman in what I was doing. It was, this is the situation and how are we going to figure out? So then it doesn't necessarily happen exactly the same way the next time. And I am so very grateful for that encounter because it then set me up for how I want to continue to lead my own team moving forward. Oh, I love that story. And I think it's so important to talk about, I find there's not a lot of leaders. Thankfully, the ones we talk about on the Best Boss Ever show are, but not a lot that are very good at handling emotion. Mm-hmm. When somebody's in tears, I notice that a lot of people are really uncomfortable with that. Yes. And I always yeah. say we're processing anger. That's not always, that's not sad tears. That's not boohoo. That's like frustration. (laughs) Yeah. And it is. And it's, it's not, and I hate that I question myself on it and it's taken me a while to come to the understanding and just be okay with when I'm experiencing certain emotions, because you're allowed to experience them. You're human at the end of the day. Right. So I have to give myself permission to be like, okay, if their tears well up out of frustration and anger and rage, it's fine. It's just the way that my own body responds. And in that moment, he was accepting of that. And that is exactly what I needed. Now, when I am placed in situations, or even when I see patients who are sitting in front of me and they're sharing their experiences, I look at it from a completely different perspective now. That even made you better with your patients. 100%. Amazing. I never thought about this before, but as a dentist, you have to learn how to be a leader without really having anybody model leadership for you. Yeah. (laughs) So tell us, like, what is that like? Very interesting, (laughs) (laughs) to say the least. So you are kind of thrown into the deep end. In dental school, you're taught how to be a dentist. You're taught all the clinical aspect behind it, all the worst case scenarios that can happen, but you're not taught the management. You're not taught that when you own an office or run multiple offices and there's group practice set up and you have team manager, you have your front desk staff, you have your dental assistants, hygiene, you have an entire team that you need to run with all different personalities you don't necessarily know how to be a leader. So you're being thrown into the deep end and you're kind of, it's a sink or swim. 
but it's also then how you decide, okay, am I going to keep evolving? Am I going to keep adapting? Am I only going to focus on the clinical dentistry aspect of it and then hope the management stuff works out? Or am I going to try to manage the management side as well? And then clinical dentistry will follow along suit with it. So it's unfortunate in the sense that, especially for dentists, being overachievers or high achievers, type A personalities, perfectionists, when things don't necessarily go right or there are problems Sometimes we just don't even know what to do from a management perspective because we've never had to experience before. And it's not that we haven't worked other jobs. It's just we don't know what to do in a leadership situation. And that's challenging in and of itself and can take an emotional, mental, and physical toll on us. As you're saying this, I'm thinking about how many years, you know, I've spent obviously working with leaders and doing leadership training and development. And it's not a one, <laughs> you don't just get, get trained on it and even know what to do. So you're going in cold. And in addition, you know, there's very little for you to model yourself after or little training. You're not stopping for leadership training in the middle of, you know, doing your work. So that's interesting. So tell me a little bit about what was that learning curve like for you as you were stepping into leadership? Like, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? Well, to this day, I think I'm still doing things right and wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which that's the beauty about leadership is trying to figure out what works best for you. So my biggest takeaway and the leadership that I want to embody is situational leadership because not every individual needs the same leadership skills. Someone may need a little bit more handholding later on. Someone may need a little bit more autonomy. Someone may be just extremely creative. So it's trying to fit them in. Okay, well, where do they then fit within the dental team? And even within like the last eight months, I was thrust into a role that I wasn't expecting. And there was a lot of pressure put on me right from the get-go. And I remember a situation where, as you can tell, I'm a very energetic, <laughs> bubbly, happy person. But then there's also the other side of me being the perfectionist. I want things done a certain way. There's a reason why successive procedures get done. The clinic runs efficiently and there's a time and a place for certain things. And we were incorporating a new position into clinic and it just wasn't functioning properly. And I found with the partnership leadership that I was working with, that we weren't communicating properly. And in doing so, I felt like the situation fell to the wayside. And what I take away is what I had done wrong is I pulled someone aside and I yelled at them. And I walked away from that situation being like, I never want to be that person again. First off, I was in the office. I closed the door because I refused to ever yell at someone in front of a group of individuals because I've had that happen to me as a resident and that is just uncalled for on all levels. And so I pulled this person aside, but I'm standing yelling at her. And as it's happening, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is not, this is not, this is not the leadership that I wanted to become. So I left that situation and I remember thinking about it for weeks afterwards. And I thought, okay, what was the actual situation at hand? Why did I get to that point? How could have I have looked at it differently? 
And I need to go apologize to this person, which is exactly what I did. I went, I apologized. I owned my mistake, which that's a huge thing in leadership because we're human again. We all make mistakes, but you have to make sure you own it. And I walked away from that being like, I need to make sure this doesn't ever happen again. So it was a learning experience that doesn't matter who or what situation that I'm in next time, just as if I'm walking into a complicated procedure and I take a deep breath and I become focused, I need to do the exact same situation when it comes to managing people's expectations or managing the clinic as a whole. It's taking a deep breath, focus, and then walk into the situation instead of just exploding. That's such a good example. Well, first of all, cheers to the apology. I was just talking to someone who (laughs) had a challenge with their boss and let's just, there was no apology. And so, you know, once trust is damaged and there's no repair, it's very difficult to move forward where you went back and did the repair work. So kudos. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you. That's a good step. I'm sure that person appreciated the apology. What wisdom would you give to anybody who has caught themselves yelling at an employee? I heard you say, you know, take a deep breath and focus, but you know, is there any other tools or tips that you use to really kind of bring it down? First off, I make sure I don't just automatically walk into a situation where I'm fuming because that's not going to serve anyone and not going to get to a solution at that point in time. So now what I do, and I take a step back, I try to examine all the different sides of the story on why potentially that individual did what they did. And so now it's, okay, maybe I'm seeing, maybe I'm not seeing something that they saw and that's why they acted or reacted the way that they did to the situation. And so I now ask myself a couple of questions and think, okay, if I were in the situation, this is how I would respond, but they were in the situation. So we're not two same people. So because of that, they're going to respond differently. So let's go in and ask questions this time. So instead of me going in with just blanket statements and saying, you did this wrong, why did you do this? And and so on and so forth. I go in and I say, explain to me why your thought process was the way that it was. So then now it gives me an understanding on, well, maybe they weren't actually on the same wavelength as I was, or maybe I explained how to do something inappropriately, or they misinterpreted something. So now there's a miscommunication. So it doesn't mean that they were doing it wrong. They thought that they were doing it right, which in actuality they were because of the miscommunication. So I think that that plays a huge part in taking a step back and taking a deep breath before jumping and fuming is, okay, let's actually gather all the facts first before making an assumption or jumping to a conclusion. And then recognizing, okay, if there is a miscommunication, how can we go about fixing this? And then what can we do the next time so then there isn't a miscommunication? Beautiful. (laughs) I'm sure there's some people out there listening going, of course, that makes so much sense. And it's such a good reminder because so many of us, you know, in the heat of the moment, that's not our instinct, right? And so you've had to rewire (laughs) that instinct. The rewiring is exactly, it's hard. It's hard, but it's possible. That's the biggest thing because I've had to do the same thing with procedures that make me overly anxious, right? Otherwise I walk in and your thoughts are just jumbled and I'm not going to be the best dentist that I need to be at that point in time for the patient. So it's 
rewiring to get more clarity about the situation. And I agree, it's definitely easier said than done, but the more that you do it, it becomes that much easier. Oh, it's such a good answer. Thank you. I have two more questions for you. The first is when we were on that panel, we had a really meaningful conversation about imposter syndrome. If you had to share with our audience what you've learned and, you know, I'm not, unfortunately, I know this is a side business for you that you have a lot of (laughs) content around, but, you know, maybe just even from your experience, what have you learned from seeing yourself battle imposter syndrome and maybe some words of wisdom for leaders who are trying to be best bosses? You know, what do they need to watch out for when it comes to that? I'm going to give an easy definition. It's where self-doubt and the fear of failure are so overwhelming that you feel like you're going to be found out. So you underestimate your abilities, you explain away your successes, you don't give yourself enough credit. Self-doubt in and of itself is completely fine. Self-doubt is a way that allows you to rethink what's happening, gets you outside of the periphery, shows that you care about what you're learning about. But when it's coupled with potentially self-sabotaging behaviors and it's preventing you from taking the next steps or taking action, then that's where reevaluation is really important to make sure that you're not stuck. And so for me, what I found is I wasn't taking on certain procedures or I wasn't applying for certain roles or getting involved in organized dentistry to the level that I wanted to because of the fact that I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't have enough of the credentials behind me. And one particular time that comes to mind is lecturing. And now I speak about imposter syndrome and it's empowering others now to then tell themselves that I can take these next steps. Okay. Yeah. There's a fear there that something may go wrong, but you won't know unless you actually try. I guess I'm thinking too about how many times, you know, leaders probably have that moment. You know, I know I work with a lot of them where they feel like, you know, what if I get found out? (laughs) You know, what if I just got this job by luck and my luck's about to run out? So I, I definitely can see that. And when you think of, you know, how does that manifest in performance? Like when you think of, you know, again, we have all these brilliant brains, but for some reason we get this feeling that we're frauds. How does that manifest in performance? So in performance, especially in business, it can prevent you from applying for a raise or applying for a promotion or putting together an idea or a presentation because someone else is going to do it better. There's a self-sabotaging behavior within the business component where it prevents you and can keep you very stagnant. And sometimes all it is, is it starts with a question on, you don't need, even need to be really straightforward with the question. Because I remember when it was for me in particular, and I was starting to come out of my shell and I wanted to know if other people were experiencing this, I would go up and be like, hey, ask him for a friend. So what about, what about this in particular? They'd be like, oh yeah, I feel that all the time. And, and what I don't think we're talking about enough is the fact that the majority of us still feel this. It's just, we all hide it. And some of us are just really good at hiding it. <laughs> and that's I know so many of us that feel it. <laughs> right. And so as long as you take a look at 
what is happening and you're continually growing and you don't feel like you're not applying for that promotion or the next job or a move or anything that is a really interesting idea that you want to try, but think that you're not good enough for it or that someone else is better or smarter or works harder. You have that capability to be able to do it. It's just going to look different for each one of us. I know that you're about to make a big move yourself. First of all, I'd love you to share what was the inspiration behind that. I really appreciated, you know, kind of what you shared about that. And then tell us a little bit about how that maybe your own imposter syndrome might have tied to this and how you kind of had to confront it for your own next move. Huge move moving from Toronto, Ontario to Victoria, British Columbia. And I was a general dentist at a cancer center and two things put everything into perspective. One being COVID made us rethink. I am a huge planner to begin with like 15, 20 year plans. And then all of a sudden COVID happened and made us realize that, well, we actually really can't plan because we just don't know. Right. Absolutely. The second component was my patient population. I kept hearing the same story over and over again, where save all that money, wait for retirement. Once you get there, you're going to have so much fun and patients would get there and then they would have a diagnosis of cancer. What they kept then reiterating is don't wait. If there's something that you want to do, do it now. No one's going to ever think twice about, did I put in that extra hour of work and was it worth it? No, people are going to look back and be like, I really wish I spent more time with family, friends, doing those adventures that I wanted to do when I was more physically and mentally well. And it honestly put so many things into perspective. And that combination for me of my patients and COVID made me rethink. And I was stifling my own self. I didn't even realize that a part of me was still stuck in a very old school mentality of once you graduate, you need to become an associate, work five, six days of clinical dentistry, and then potentially become an owner. But I recognized the fact that I was linking my self-worth in my identity to being a dentist when I had all these other passions and interests that I wanted to explore. And so I listened to what my patients had to say and decided to make this big move. So I'm scaling back and doing clinical dentistry and exploring all of these other passions that I have now. Oh, I have a feeling that I'm going to hear from some people that that story just really inspired them. And the best part is we don't know the punchline yet. We don't know how it turns out, right? right? Yeah, totally. Great. And that is the beauty of it is once you're there, you can figure it out. Give yourself the permission to be able to figure it out because you can. So even though that self-doubt is there, it's okay. I love it. I think self-doubt just helps, you know, it's a survival technique, but there's also a survival technique, which is wants us, wants us to get out of bed and go live our lives too. hundred percent. This has been awesome. If there's people that want to follow you and see how your journey unfolds, where should mm -hmm. they go check you out? Two locations. I'm across social media. You can find me under the alchemist dentist, or you can check out my website at www.drjessicametcalf.com. Beautiful. Jessica, it was fantastic talking to you. I love your energy. I get so Thank energetic. <laughs> the Thank big you. giant smile and I'm feeling yeah. like I can do it. So we are all rooting for you. We can't wait to see what unfolds next. And thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. 
If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.